You're listening to Flaunt, Find Your Sparkle and Create a Life You Love After Infidelity or Betrayal. Have you been betrayed by life, your body, or someone that you love? You're not alone. No matter what you've been through, Naked Self-Worth helps you regain confidence, joy, and enthusiasm so you can create a life you love and flourish. Tune in weekly and learn how. Hello, welcome to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal. We have got a really fascinating conversation today. It's It encompasses so much. We're going to talk about pleasure, sensuality, sexuality. But leading into that, we're going to talk about fawning. You might have heard about the trauma responses of fight, flight, or freeze. I know we've talked about that on this show too. But you may or may not have heard about fawning as a trauma response, as a stress response. And today's guest wrote the book called Fawn that addresses just that. The way that women especially, but men and women, will fawn over somebody in order to keep themselves safe, but how we have also been culturally conditioned to please others. We've been culturally conditioned to fawn because we think that it makes us look like more feminine or more pleasing. And how when we do that, what really happens is we betray ourselves. We subjugate ourselves, our needs, our desires, our pleasure, our joy. And we really also disconnect from the truth of who we are because instead of understanding or knowing what we want, our pleasure becomes our partner's pleasure. And then we lose touch with who we are and what we want. Worse, we also lose touch with our own intuition, with our own body sensations, sense of self, sense of what feels good and what doesn't feel good. One of the things that so many women say to me after they've discovered their partner's infidelity is, why didn't I know? Why didn't I know that that was happening? And in today's show, that's one of the things that we're going to address is, why didn't I see those red flags? Why didn't I see it? And then another thing we're going to address is that shame that so many of us feel after we've gotten out of our situation. Why did I stay in that for so long? Why did I put up with so much stuff? Instead of having compassion and gentleness for ourselves and understanding, hey, I did that to survive. I took care of whether it's myself or the kids or my finances. Instead of priding ourselves or having compassion for ourselves, we beat ourselves up. We're going to talk about all of that and more in today's show with Nisha Fair. Now, Nisha Fair is an author, a researcher, a trauma-informed 
sex educator. And you're definitely going to want to learn a little bit more about that. And the founder of Soma Body Trauma-Informed Pleasure Works. She works with survivors and those recovering from unhealthy relationships to help them reclaim a nourishing, authentic, and soulfully aligned relationship to pleasure that supports them to live more purposefully in every area of life. Her book, Fawn, When No Looks Like Yes, is the first book to be written about fawning in the context of sex and consent. Consent, such a big thing. In addition to sounding the alarm, Fair attempts to answer the million-dollar question, how can sex and intimacy thrive in a post-Me Too, post-pandemic reality? Her book is part expose, part self-study guide, part memoir, but overall, it's a robust and heartfelt call to celebrate our authentic sexuality, not us performing, but our authentic sexuality, and to invite more integrity and intention into our sex lives and relationships, whether they're casual or long-term. So with that, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a real treat to be here. You're welcome. So let's just kind of start from the beginning because I know you are a trauma-informed sex educator, which is amazing. You're also an author and researcher. What do you know about trauma and fawning as a trauma response? And just start from the beginning, defining that and telling us about your work. Sure. So um, I don't just educate around sex. I really, I start to focus a lot on pleasure as well as being really our most natural state of being. It's where we are connected to our truth. It's where we are connected to the truth of who we are and why we're here. The good we came here to contribute is most obvious to us, most undeniable when we are engaged in a pleasurable experience, whether it's an orgasm or a walk in the forest. Yeah. Right. It's that feeling of being connected spiritually, mentally, physically, psycho-emotionally to the essence of who we are authentically. So fawning, as you mentioned, it is a stress response and it's very subtle. So while it can happen in response to big trauma, in cases where there may have been unhealthy circumstances in the relationship leading up to the betrayal, mm-hmm. That stress is like, we don't just, you know, tune out and all of a sudden everything's horrible. Usually there are signs or there are indicators of discord in the relationship. And we respond to that lack of safety, which is really an inability to be our authentic selves or inability or the relationship, the partner um, is creating or helping to create a a container where our authentic self isn't welcomed, isn't seen, isn't accepted. And so fawn 
is a body level response. That's the first thing that I want people to really get across is that this is happening on like a biological chemical level. Yes. It is learned and it can be adapted from like our social conditioning of gender, of femininity. Uh, if you had a turbulent upbringing or you were raised by emotionally unavailable parents, you may have adapted fawn into your relationship vocabulary. Um, but it is happening on a biological level. So it's not just some, you know, habit that we pick up that doesn't have a body level um sort of body level proof of it taking place. So that's number one, that it is biological. Um, but it really, it's subtle, right? So it can be people pleasing. It can be going along with, um, with whatever your partner wants. It can be um, doing a sexual act to save the relationship. You know, a big one for a lot of people is like wanting to go poly or try on, you know, try out, um, uh, bringing other people into the relationship as a way to save the relationship. And many women, especially vulva havers, they will go along with it because maybe they've been in the relationship for 10 years. Maybe there are three kids living at home, you know, all of these factors. Yeah. They're eating away at our sense of safety and our ability to show up for our, our kids, our dependents, our paying our mortgage, all of these things. So I'm going to, I feel like I said a lot, so I'm going to hang back and let you for thought. <laughs> no, that's perfect because there's often so much to unpack. And I love mm. that you said like that, bringing other people into the relationship because yeah. all, all affair dynamics are different, but you're right. That's, that is a common one. Sometimes the partner will get caught. And because both people really don't want to completely quit the relationship, that will be the response. Well, let's just open up the relationship. No, 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 no. Having an affair is not about like wanting to experiment with other people. So you're right. It's, it's something that would be like, oh, okay, that's going to save my marriage. That's what it was about. It's not what it was about. If that's what it was about, the partner would have communicated early on, Hey, this is a lifestyle that I'm interested in trying. And then there would be consent. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. hundred mm percent. -hmm. So I love that you said that. And I'm, I also like that you said it's kind of a combination it's biological, but it's also yes. learned for gender and femininity because aren't we all told to be compliant, good girls from the time we're so young. And this is part of, you know, I talk a lot about red flags and why we can't see them. And it's because we're taught from the time that we're young, young, young little girls, you know, um, unavailable fathers are just really, really busy. Guys, boys that pull our pigtails and push us on the swing straight on the, not the swings, what do you call it? The playground yeah. are, you know, they just, they just like us. So we learn to explain away all of this unhealthy toxic masculinity behavior. So by the time we enter into the dating pool, we've had, you know, maybe 15, 20 years of saying, okay, that skull and crossbones on the bottle of bleach actually isn't that big of a deal. So I'll just drink it down like everybody else says, because that's just what we do. Right. So it's this sort of wearing away at our instincts and literally training us to ignore our intuition, to ignore what our bodies are telling us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they talk about grooming victims of sexual abuse. We are being groomed. 
I, by, by society. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel that. And I, and I want to go more into some of the red flags and deconstructing yeah. some of that. But before I, but before we do, this feels so big mm-hmm. and it is big because it's looking to the past, understanding how our parents raised us, how they were raised, where it's coming from, but it, it feels like such a big problem to solve. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, no one will ever tell me or be able to say that I don't have high hopes and big goals (laughs) in looking at at this. And I want to say, like, this is we are really at the forefront of understanding fawning in terms of intimate relationships. The stress response was only identified in the year 2000, which I I kind of believe only happened because it was a female led team. Uh, um, who were trying to find out how women respond to stress differently than men. So that's part of it. But it, the word fawn didn't come into our lexicon until 2013, right? So we're really doing pioneering work here and understanding how, um, you know, hierarchical dynamics come into our intimate relationships, how all the different narratives about gender affect how we show up in bed. So it's, I like to tell people that, you know, there's this really, we want to kind of like be up in arms and this is crazy. How have we been living like this for so long? Right. But it's so important to go in slowly and to be gentle and loving with ourselves because, you know, when, when we go in with guns blazing, the only person that we're hurting really is ourselves. Yeah. Right. And that little, that part of ourselves that didn't get seen and that didn't get that loving, safe, healthy attachment that we wanted, whether it was from our parents or our partners. Mm -hmm. So well said. And I'm glad you said that because you're right. Um, Going slow is important. Being gentle is important because that tracks back to what you said earlier about being in a state of pleasure. When we're in that date. That's when we create changes and when we can get other people to see our point of view, not when we're screaming (laughs) at them. And yeah. Yeah. It's also where we're easy. It's easier for us to see our truth, which I know I said, and there's, there's something to be said for that. Like if we can spend more time, I'm going to sort of zoom out for a second to talk about the fact that we in our culture today, not just, you know, because of the pandemic, this has been happening for a long time. We're very pleasure deprived and there aren't a lot of places in our culture in the West and our society in the world generally, where there are places of true refuge, where we can feel safe and where we know that we're going to be accepted for who we are because there is so much discrimination, whether, you know, you were a visible um, disenfranchised group or whether you're experiencing marginalization that's more invisible, like say if you are an incest survivor or um, you're dealing with addiction, right? So um, it's really important to, you know, the phrase I use is to continue and commit to reorienting to a place of somatic comfort. So really connecting with things that like, you know, that warm mug of tea in your hand in the morning on a cold morning, like just things like that to really remind yourself, your body, your senses, that you're safe and you're well, and you're valuable just as you are. Yeah. Yeah. So important. So important. And you're right. We are very pleasure deprived 
And mm. I mean, I, I feel like we could do a whole other show and a whole, a whole other conversation on that, <laughs> but that is isn't So I do yeah. want to keep that kind of as the foundation of everything that we talk about going forward. Mm. Um, okay. I want to, to talk about those red flags and why we can't see red yes. flags. That is, again, something that I hear so often from the women that I work with. Why did I not notice this? Why didn't I see this? I thought we had a happy marriage. And, you know, I went through my own infidelity too. And that even is something that I, I still sometimes think, how did I not know that? So let's talk about what some of the common red flags are and maybe reasons why we're not seeing those. And I know you addressed the reasons why a little bit, but let's go through some of those common. Yeah. Um, So I first want to just mention that everybody's obviously everyone has a different experience. And I think the, the main issue when there is, when there's any kind of, you know, even no relationship is perfect. Right. Right. And I think one thing that can sometimes happen, I, I should say I haven't already, but I uh, came into this work and started doing this research. And because of my own healing, I ended an abusive marriage in 2014. Mm-hmm. And there was that voice in my head. It was like, you know, no relationship is perfect. And there was a lot of infidelity in there too. And I was like, wow, yeah, he's like totally it was all emotional affairs. He had three that I knew of. And I think one of them was physical, but, um, there was this sense of, again, explaining away. Yes. Uh, what I knew to be true. And part of the thing that's really important to understand about fawn again, because it's biological is that part of its function is to repress and inhibit our awareness of ourselves, of our situation and of what's happening in our relationship. That's what it's doing is making us less aware of (laughs) ourselves, of our boundaries, of the situation, our relationship. So of course we're like, how did this happen? Right. And it's the same thing that happens for, you know, women who experience fawning in say casual dating or um, casual sex experiences where they wake up two days later and they're like, wait a minute. I was completely assaulted. Like, how did this happen? And so it's this feature of being really undermined by our own bodies, our own evolutionary physiology. Because again, like this worked a hundred thousand years ago, but it's not working for us now. Right. Right. So that's the first piece is just that, that feeling of waking up and being like, how did this happen? Is partly because we're kind of like, there's a veil almost it's created over our ability to have awareness of, of what's going on. Um, and it works very closely with, um, therapeutic denial. So, you know, a lot of people feel like denial can be blameful or feel, you know, some sense of shame around it, but denial serves a really therapeutic purpose. It shields us from pain. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm glad mm -hmm. you said that. And I'm, I just want to stick a little thumbtack in that. Because I am also a uh, clinical hypnotherapist. And one of the things that I always explain to people when they say like, you can just hypnotize me and it can make me. No, no, no. (laughs) We are self-preserving organisms. You're not going to remember something unless you can process it because your body is going to preserve itself. And your mind will not let you go there unless and until you are safe enough to go there. Mm -hmm. And same thing with your abusive marriage. Yeah. And ending that 
Of course you stayed in it. You stayed in it while you were safe. If you would have ripped the Band-Aid off too soon, you maybe couldn't, would have not been able to get out healthily. The time is right when the time is right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, I, I, I would have gone back had I left any time before I would have gone back and I think it would have been worse. Whereas when I left, when I did, um, there was no question in my mind that there was ever going to be going back. So that was yeah. a big part of it, but you're right. You know, you cannot be ready any moment sooner than the time in which you become ready for it. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I'd like to go a little bit deeper with defining fawn. Because, okay, we're going to fawn all over people. I'm going to do things that I'm not comfortable with. I'm going to, but where is that fine line between I enjoy serving my family? I enjoy taking care of my friends. It's not that big of a deal if we see movie A or movie B or eat a hamburger Mm -hmm. or pizza. I don't care. I'll do what you want. Where is that line? Such a good question. Um, So fawn is... So when I talked about this response that was identified in 2000 by the female-led team, the response is called tend and befriend. Yes. And this is a response that is primarily seen in women, in people with vulvas who, because of our uh, physiology, our neurotransmitters, uh, our hormones, and the, you know, lovely oxytocin that we make in our bodies, that we are more biologically set up to process this response and to be the nurturers it's just yeah. in our blood and our DNA and our bones. Um, so tend and befriend is like sitting down with an old friend and having a cup of tea for three hours and just feeling so nourished by being seen, by getting to communicate and share. It's the feeling of, you know, love that you feel when you see your child or even, you know, a pet getting to care for them and feeling nourished by that experience. So tend and befriend is extremely nourishing, especially for women, because it's one of the ways that we deal with stress. It's one of our natural go-tos when we're, you know, feeling stressed out. We had a bad day. We call a friend. Yeah. That's just our natural propensity. It's how we cope with stress. Fawn is what happens when tend and befriend goes into overdrive or when we don't have an opportunity to move back into stasis. So we might fawn when, uh, for example, the circumstances in our um, environment and our relationship are telling us that we're not safe. So in addition to fawning, or pardon me, how should I say, using the same resources, the tendon befriend resources to say, calm someone, when they're sick or when they're feeling agitated or sad, we use those same kind of cues from the human, you know, body communication cues that we pick up from other people to calm overactive tempers and to placate people who are being unreasonable or, you know, oppressive in a relationship. So it's the difference between those two is that in one circumstance, you know, it's, there's, you know, a healthy interaction between two people and you get to return to stasis, 
right? You get to return to that place where there's safety, where everything's fine, where no one's sad, no one needs a snack, you know? You get that sense of, okay, I'm good. The issue with fawn is that, especially in the context of unhealthy relationships, you never get to return to safety. So it becomes a kind of standard operating procedure. Okay, yeah, that helps, that makes sense. Yeah. So putting this all kind of together, people have this stress response. It goes into overdrive. They start fawning. They start really suppressing themselves and their needs and their desires. Something bad happens like the infidelity. Um, There's that balance, that give and that take, that panic, all of this. Okay, now we're out of the crisis. We are not right in the middle of the moment. Now we need to go forward. How do we learn how to healthily go forward without, oh my gosh, I was hurt, defenses up. How do we know what is, what is pleasure? What is, you know, feeling good in our bodies? How do we let this go, still protect ourselves, mm-hmm. but also be able to connect and love again? Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's a journey and most of the work that I do is focused on somatic movement, voicing, and a lot of experiential exercises, because like you were saying with your hypnotherapy example, we don't learn it unless we live it. Right. It's just, it doesn't get in there. That's how we get all of the information we have about the world, who we are and how we relate to it. Yes. So part of that process is breaking what I call breaking the cast because fawning does create a cast in our bodies. It makes us more contained. It makes us stop, you know, making, um, taking chances and putting ourselves out there because we've got all of this information that tells us that we're not going to be accepted as our authentic selves. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's really this, like I said, reorienting to somatic comfort that is kind of the bedrock of the work that I do and what I've been find, found to be most effective for the most people is and not comfort zone comfort, right? There's a difference. What I, I always tell people, there's yeah. nothing comfortable about your comfort zone at all. Your comfort zone is where you're not living your potential, where you're, you know, making yourself smaller, where you're just going through the motions. So I like to orient people to finding somatic comfort first. And sometimes if you've been going years of, you know, diminishing your own needs and abandoning yourself in your relationship, you really have to take like titrated little baby amounts because what happens, so pleasure and stress management, we have two different modes of our nervous systems for processing each type of experience, right? They're both neuroendocrine events, but they're happening on two, basically in two different channels. So if we're living a life, we're constantly living in our stress responses, our bodies can really kind of not forget, but they can become atrophied, right? In terms of having the, the physiological ability, being able to, you know, manufacture enough of the neurotransmitters and hormones to be able to produce orgasm, for example. Yes. You know, a lot of people come out of relationships and they can't, they either can't self-pleasure or they struggle to experience the kind of orgasms they felt before the relationship because A, you know, our bodies go into this cast for starters, but B, there's that, you know, practice 
element that you know our bodies forget so when we're going through this healing process after these types of relationships and betrayals it's so important to just like titrate little little bits every single day to remind your body your brain your nervous system what it means to process pleasure and how it feels and you know over time we learn often very quickly um but part of that process is really teaching your body that it's safe to feel safe and it's safe to feel good and it's safe to be your authentic self after years of being told that that story wasn't true right Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I really like how you say, take it in small steps because you can't mm-hmm. go from this completely suppressed or denied or traumatic space into, yay, it's a Disney movie and everything is perfect. So what does that look like for people? Because I too use a lot of movement. Um, I don't use the voice, but what are some things that listeners might be able to just do this afternoon, you know, tomorrow that will help reorient themselves towards pleasure, towards joy, towards feeling good again? Yes. So there are a few things. One thing that I really like to encourage people to do is to set them up, set themselves up for success by placing little bits of sensory stimulation throughout their house. So maybe that's putting a rose by your bedside so that you can see it and smell it the first thing that you wake up in the morning. Maybe that's, you know, getting some really nice essential oils and massage oils to put on after the shower. So just incorporating these little moments into your day. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, you know, you have this big long crazy day where you're serving everybody else's needs. And then you spend half an hour at the end where you kind of have me time. Instead, you're really looking to incorporate your relationship to pleasure into your daily life. And, you know, as many moments and rooms and situations as you possibly can. But there is one that I think is probably the most beneficial and has been for the most people. And it's called a somatic pause. And it's not meditation. It's not uh, in any way mindful. It's bodyful. So it's a matter of just whether it's sitting in your chair. Yeah. Right. Sitting in your chair. Or I love like really encouraging people to say when they drive to the grocery store, stop for a minute. Just leave your key in the ignition, leave your phone where it is, stop and just let your tissues be on that chair and that seat in that car. Take a few breaths and then go into the grocery store. Do it again when you come back. So anytime we are in these situations where we're kind of like rushing or going or doing these very action-driven you know, errands, uh, it's so important to just come back And it's not just coming back to our bodies and it's not just taking five, you're coming back to yourself, right? So it's a real act of self-compassion, of self-acknowledgement, saying, I see you body Mm -hmm. and I love you and I'm not going to keep pushing you past your point of, of no return. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So that's a, that's a really big one. And I will say that that's been successful for my clients who've enacted that usually I recommend so to do that hourly at least or half hourly and then every time between transitions and the folks that do within like six to 12 months when they do that every single day diligently they report like 180 degree shifts in their lives and everything simply because they're not letting their nervous systems get ramped up to that place where they're out of their center 
Yeah. So that's, mm -hmm, that's probably the most transformative and the easiest, mm -hmm. like free thing that everyone can do. I love that because there's two things that come to mind when you talk about that. First of all is you would become aware. I'm tired. I'm thirsty. I hurt. Yeah. And then you're kind of presented with that choice. What do I do? Do mm -hmm. I acknowledge it and take care of it? Or do I continue to suppress it? <laughs> and totally. yeah. And then hopefully we would continue to start making healthier and healthier choices. Oh, I am tired. Oh, I do need some water. I do need whatever it is. So I really like that. Well, this, is, this is what happens. And this is the magic of it. I hate using that word because there is actually like, I, this is part of my research. I've done, you know, a lot of, a lot of in-depth, um, exploration into this phenomenon that um, it's not even a fact of where we have to try to make different choices by virtue of the fact that we're changing the way our nervous system is wiring that we're recalibrating ourselves on this you know level working with nervous system modulation we without like this is why you know people report back to me with these magical kind of experiences because when we change how our bodies are working in the moment, we change the locks and the keys that all the other people, all the other unhealthy people and unhealthy patterns and unhealthy behaviors were a fit for mm -hmm. are no longer. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, and the, the beauty of it is that you can sense it right at the moment. You don't have to be spending, you know, five dates or, 10 conversations to be like, Oh, actually you're not a fit. It's like an instant thing because you're so tuned in to what feels authentic at that body level. Mm -hmm. And the more you choose things from that place of authenticity, the more pieces that fit that tissue state for yourself will, you know, naturally start to start to come into your life. Yeah. And especially in dating or relationships and things like that, that is such an important thing. And when you were saying every hour or even every half hour, I can see in meeting people, how important it would be to come back home, to come back mm -hmm. to your body and to be like, gosh, you're making me uncomfortable in a way that I hadn't necessarily realized. And a story from that, that that's similar, similar, yet different. I was in mm -hmm. India speaking at a convention several years back and it was all women and one man walked in the room and I felt in my body a certain need to please rise up a certain like oh the, we're shifting that energy from all women to now men and I have to be worthy and it was just one of those moments where I thought wow that was a really interesting response and it wasn't only in me I, there was a huge change in the energy of the room Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a thing, you know, again, part of this is biological. And then the other piece is part of our social conditioning. It's how we're taught to perform gender, mm -hmm. right. And our relationships between men and women. So it's, it can be really tricky to, it can be really tricky to unpack and to tease out those, those threads. Um, to your point about dating though, and this is something that, you know, I think is great advice for everyone, but 
or anyone. I really encourage my clients when they're going on dates, A, to do something where you're moving. So whether it's a walk in the park or, you know, something where you're not sitting still, because first of all, you get to be beside the person. You can kind of look for eye contact every now and then. It's not that kind of like, okay, so let's bear into your soul. Right. Um, but the other piece is that, uh, to try and find opportunities to take a break. So whether it's going to the bathroom after the first hour to just connect in with yourself and be like, how is this person making me feel? Mm -hmm. What am I noticing in my body about, you know, this person's relationship to space? How do they take up space? How are they in the conversation? Are they asking me questions about myself? Because I think often we can get really excited about the date, right? But right. part of Part of that other piece is exactly what you're saying in terms of the relationship or the, the subconscious effect that those hierarchies can create in us that we can kind of like hop on the train and forget that we have autonomy. Right. Right. And so that's part of, that's really part of something that we just have to start being aware of and it's a practice yeah. and it gets easier with time. Um, but you know, the first step is awareness with everything. Yeah, it is. Okay. So what about in situations where somebody is truly a narcissist or a sociopath and how do, how does getting into our body, does that help? Or is that just one of those tricky situations? So are you speaking of, um, I'm dating a narcissist or a sociopath. Is that the question? Or I am the narcissist or sociopath? No, if, when we're in response to some, when we're dating okay. someone or maybe have had a partner. Yeah. Because I think that's an extra layer of tricky, 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 tricky stuff. Yeah. Um, so funding is something we do to keep ourselves safe. And it's something we do to keep ourselves safe with people who, whether they don't accept our authentic selves or whether they are Machiavellian manipulative people who are trying to control us at the core of who we are, which I have some experience with. Mm -hmm. Um, so I can say with absolute certainty that you can't, I get, again, you can't stop fawning right. any moment sooner than the reason that you're fawning becomes removed. So I don't suggest for people who are in abusive relationships, I'm not, so let's stop fawning everybody, right? It's, it has a purpose. And if it's keeping you safe where you are, you know, having some awareness of things is great for like little seeds to try and, you know, drop in and possibly sprout. But, you know, I really, along with this conversation of fawning and encouraging people to have more awareness of the implications and also the, you know, nuances of it, I really want to help people dispel shame around it. And yeah. sometimes sometimes fawning is necessary. Sometimes it's how you get through a really terrible situation. So, um, it's a kind of yes, no situation. If someone's in a relationship with a sociopath, um, I mean, and they can't get out of it. I, you have to do your best with what you have at the time. You know, I didn't know that my ex was a sociopath when I was with him. Right. right? I knew he told me on many occasions that his favorite thing to do was to like pull on people's strings and make them do things. Right. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. How did you get that way? 
Right. <laughs> Instead right. of thinking, wait a minute, he's totally pulling on my strings and making me do things that he wants. Right. Yes. So it's with any of these relationships, we can't see what's going on while we're in them because we're just trying to survive. Yeah. So it's, uh, I think it's, it's a very case by case basis, uh, basis for how we address fawning in those relationships. And I think we just have to do our best and have compassion for ourselves and not judge where we're at. Just do the best with what we have. Yeah. I I love that you went there because there isn't shame around it. There's, there's a lot of courage. I mean, sometimes to be, to be courageous, to fawn and to keep yourself alive, or maybe to keep your kids alive. That's, that's a very powerful thing to do. It's so huge. I'm glad you brought that up because when there's one thing that can kind of happen when, when women get out of these kind of abusive relationships with very toxic and unhealthy people, knowing that they stayed fond and stayed the amount of shame that can come up for them once they leave that situation is just so huge because there's this, I can't believe what I did to my kids. I can't believe I exposed myself to them. I can't believe that now there's, you know, just, just this like running uh, dialogue of the realization. Right. And so again, my invitation is to just really choose gentleness and to trust and, and, you know, commend yourself for doing the best with what you have. You've survived. Your kids have survived. We are all resilient human beings and we can grow and heal with time and love. Um, and it's not your fault. So that's, that's something that, that I know a lot of women feel. And I really, I really want to dispel that hugely because a lot of people think it's their fault that they made these choices. I chose to let him assault me. I chose to go along with it. Right. And you don't, it's your body responding to extreme hierarchical stress. Yeah, absolutely. So shifting gears a little bit out of that, because we have all that stress, we have all that trauma. And now hopefully we've got understanding we were free, we survived. And you are a trauma-informed sex educator. And sex is obviously something that brings pleasure. And Mm -hmm. there's also shame around that. And how do you help women who've been through some really tough times reclaim that, embrace that, understand themselves, pleasure, express themselves? What are some tips that you have around that? Some understanding? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, another piece that we haven't talked about, but I'm glad we're going to touch on it here. Um, When we're in long-term relationships, whether they were unhealthy before betrayal or not, sometimes part of fawning is that we let our partner's turn-ons become ours. And we sort of default the evolution of our sexuality to whatever's easiest yeah. instead of taking the time to really connect with like, what is my authentic sexuality? What does authentic pleasure feel like to me? Do I like, you know, this act or that practice? And was I just doing it because, you know, I wanted my partner to feel good. Right. And we all want, you know, couples being invested in one another's pleasure is amazing And we also have to be attuned to the fact that sometimes there isn't really 
you know, exact balance in that, right? There's often one partner that is compromising more than the other. So a big part of, I think the aha moment for a lot of women that I work with is when they finally realize that it wasn't their fault, that all of the behaviors and the experiences that they had in their relationships wasn't because of them. It wasn't because they're unse- they're not sexual right. or, you know, they're, they don't have a, a affinity for pleasure or what have you. And it's not because they don't like sex. That's a big one. I hear people saying, I thought I hated sex. Like, I can't believe this. And it's like, no, you were just having sex with someone who was overpowering you in bed, which made you feel like you were fawning and stress responses do not feel good. They do not feel pleasurable. They're no. not sexy. No. <laughs> right. No. And um, so that's a big, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say coupling that with what you said earlier about our bodies literally like get out of practice to feel pleasure. So of course they quote, don't like sex, but now yeah. they do. Well, it's usually when it's in the relationship, it's because like, do you remember when I said that pleasure production and stress management run in two different modes of the nervous system? So it's usually that they're trying to have sex in the stress management mode of their nervous system instead of the pleasure production one. So it's like, oh, this is really not fun at all. No, that's so, um, you know, safety is a prerequisite for pleasure. And so part of, you know, the the biggest, most important sort of foundation for reclaiming your sexuality is to start to feel safe with yourself, start to become a safe container for your own pleasure. Mm -hmm. So a lot of, you know, work that we do is around cultivating a pleasure practice. So it's not just masturbating for five minutes once a week. It's, you know, maybe having a pleasure date once a week, that's two hours long. And that could include eating some really nice fruit, taking a long, luxurious bath, having like 20 minutes of full body massage. So that by the time you go in there to start to self-pleasure, you're already in that place where you're completely open and available to a, to pleasure, but B, because you've got so much warm up, the experience of orgasm is so much greater and more intense. So that's another way that we can start to open up more of these arousal pathways and pleasure pathways to experience more pleasure, you know, and with ourselves and with others. But the other piece is then, like I said, just finding more moments for experiencing sensual pleasure throughout the day um, as a, as a vehicle to opening ourselves up to more sexual pleasure, because we don't have a different, like, nervous system for sensual pleasure than sexual pleasure. It's all the same. It's just a spectrum. So that makes sense. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And even sensual, sexual, but I'm just also thinking feeling pleasurable sensations throughout the day, just yes. be, being happy. <laughs> I mean, it's, it seems like it's, it's all part of that same spectrum. And there are a lot of people that I work with that'll say, I just don't have time for that. I'm just not interested in that. Do you have any tips for getting people reconnected to it is okay. And there's no shame in feeling good. It doesn't mean you're not working hard enough. It doesn't mean you're not a good enough mom, whatever it's, it's good. Yeah. Um, so two things, one, I want to say that, um, asexuality, demisexuality, gray sexuality is 
is a valid choice for anyone. Mm -hmm. And within that, it's still okay to, to feel pleasure, to self-pleasure, to have orgasms. And so when I hear people say, oh, that's not for me, or, oh, I don't have time for that. My first instinct is, okay, that's your nervous system talking because your nervous system is in this place of, you know, possibly sympathetic dominance or chronic activation because you're racing to try and keep up with life and the pandemic and the kids and the bananasness of everything right now. Um, And so we literally start to wall ourselves off to pleasure, partly because, you know, like we've been talking about, we start to lose the... um, we start to atrophy, if you like, in, in terms of our ability to process it effectively, but also because like I, to bring kind of full circle back to what I started with in terms of how pleasure connects us to the truth of who we are, yes. we don't want to see the truth of who we are because sometimes if we see the truth of who we are, we're actually going to have to change. And the other piece is that, you know, if you've been in a long-term relationship and it ends, Sometimes feeling like pleasure, feel orgasms, they can remind us of how lonely we are. And they can remind us of how much it hurts to not feel connection with someone. So they can, it can touch on old pain. And so sometimes avoiding intimacy with ourselves can be protective. Um, That's why I really start to try to open people up with sensual pleasure because it's low pressure. We can you know, really enjoy it without touching too many of those nerves and work our way up to feeling really confident and resourced in our orgasms. Because the truth is an orgasm is a neuroendocrine event. It's, you know, not just a little on and off switch. It's a full body neuroendocrine event. So they're, you know, they require a lot of neurotransmitters, lots of minerals to produce that level of pleasure, which has been described as second to, um, what do you call it? An, not an aneurysm, an epileptic attack in terms of the amount of stimulation it gives to the brain. Yeah. Wow. I had no idea. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I love how you brought up, it can remind us that we're lonely. It can remind us of what we're missing, because that is something that I hear too, with women. I gave all of these years of my life to that partner. And now I'm old and ugly and heavy or whatever it is sick. And I'm never going to have that again. And there's a lot of that bitterness, but just slow, slow steps. So I think the first thing I want to respond to that with is compassion and not just compassion for people having that experience, but an invitation to have compassion for yourselves because that story of needing someone else to be happy is so pervasive for women. We're told from the time, as soon as we learn to talk and walk, especially if we were, you know, I was born in 77. If you're born in the 70s or 80s, I think kids kind of born in the 90s, 2000s, they're getting a different message. Mm -hmm. But um, we get this message that you're waiting for Prince Charming and that you're not not, um, complete unless you have a partner, that your life doesn't have value unless there's a man in it, right? And I really have to push back against that. And I think for that reason alone, 
cultivating a self-pleasure practice with yourself is a really necessary first step to becoming your own partner, to becoming your own, you know, dream ideal person that you've been waiting your whole life for. Yeah. Because like you had said mm-hmm. earlier too, we are bodies and we're also emotions though. So it's partnering ourselves energetically, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In every way. Well, and that's the thing about sex. That's interesting is that it is the only thing we can do as humans where we are intimately connected to every single aspect of who we are, our social, intellectual, psycho-emotional, spiritual, sexual, um, and physical selves. It's the only activity we can do where we're literally acknowledging the all of who we are. So, you know, again, like everybody has their own experience, their own relationship to pleasure and sexuality. And I think it's really just about finding what works for you and what feels authentic and what supports you. Because ultimately, like if having an orgasm every day is making you really cranky and making you feel like, you know, it's not you're doing it for somebody else or because this person told you that you need to have all of the orgasms, then it's not going to serve you. And you'll probably end up getting burnt out from it because again, it takes a lot of neuro endocrine resources <laughs> to create these experiences in our body. So, um, there is no should, and there's no one size fits all. It's just about really giving ourselves permission to do what feels right and authentic for us. Yeah. And I'm glad that we're kind of ending on that authentic note, because when you have been betrayed, there's a lot of wounding, there's a lot of pain. And sometimes the idea of sex triggers so much. It triggers what you just learned about your partner. And it's like, I want nothing to do with that. And while it's a great place to work up to, it's also a very authentic and real place to be in a state of, I want nothing to do with that right now. hundred percent. Yes, totally. I think knowing your no is such an important part of the process of healing and recovery, whether it's, you know, fawning or anything else. It's, it's the first, you know, I, I always remind people if, you know, if you have kids or you can see babies, those cries, those wails at 4 a.m. in the morning, they're not saying I'm hungry. I need to be changed. They're saying, no, they're saying, stop this bad feeling, stop this feeling of loneliness. It's this, our voice and our no is the clearest and most primal experience of our boundaries. And it's so important to reconnect to that, especially after betrayal and infidelity. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you use the word primal because it is primal. Our boundaries are primal and they're trained out of us. Yes. Yeah. Well, where can people learn more, um, get a copy of your book, all of that good stuff. So my website is nishafair.com. And the link to the book should be in the show notes and you can find more about me on the website. If you want to check out some coaching or even just ask some questions about um, what's going on for you, I offer 45 minute free intro consults uh, just to learn more about trauma informed pleasure work and uh, be a sounding board for folks. I am also on Instagram. So at Nisha fair is another place that folks can find my work. 
Perfect. I love that. And I love the idea of the consultation because sex is something that people are so curious about. Pleasure is something that people are so curious about getting into their body. Like we all hear, oh, you should get into your body. Oh, you should feel that. And then a lot of people don't really know what that means. So it's so beneficial to be able to talk to somebody like you and to actually learn what that means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Thank you so much. Listeners, definitely check out her book. Yes, the link's in the show notes. So is the link to her website. Reach out, whether it's to Nisha or to myself, and I can connect to you. Ask your questions, because that's a big piece of this, is we all get so locked in our head thinking that everybody else knows this, and I don't know what's wrong with me. Nothing is wrong with you. We're all confused. We're all doing the best with what we've got. And it's so wonderful to have people like Nisha that you can reach out to and say, help, I don't understand this. And she will give you that compassion, that knowledge, and just like the little simple directions, the simple steps that she gave today, will reconnect you to yourself so you can feel better. Have an amazing week. And as usual, always remember to flaunt exactly who you are because who you are is always more than enough. Do you feel betrayed by life, your body, or by someone that you love? You are not alone and you are not weak or overly emotional for feeling the way that you do. Betrayal is one of the most overwhelmingly painful experiences to navigate because it strikes at the core of who you are and what you are worth. No matter how gutted you feel, there is hope. You can flourish, not in spite of your experience, but because of it, I know. After 23 years of marriage, my world was shattered when I found out that my husband had been cheating on me with five different women for 15 years. I lost everything that day, my identity, my worth, and the future I had worked so hard to create. While it was a long and arduous journey back to myself, today I know who I am, what I want, and I am happier and more confident than I ever was before. I've got what I call naked self-worth, which is the ability to just see know and love yourself for who you are not for what you accomplished or for who you are in relation to others no matter what has shattered your heart if you're ready to get clear on who you are what you want and to learn how good life really can be then life choreography is for you even if you feel too old or are too busy because you have kids at home and you're in charge of everything Life Choreography is a comprehensive five-month, five-step program that empowers you to strip out of your labels, roles, and scripts, and to reveal yourself as you are, not as you think you should be. To learn more, go to nakedselfworth.com and download your free guide that shows you how to untangle yourself from the past Reclaim your sexy and start re-choreographing life on your own terms so you can love and be loved for exactly who you most authentically are. Tea. 
Tune in next time to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal with radio host and live choreographer Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Develop naked self-worth and reclaim your confidence, enthusiasm, and joy so you can create a life you love and embrace who you are today. Download your free Sparkle Through Betrayal Recovery Guide at NakedSelfWorth.com.